don't know the power of the dark side. I'm not a baby, I'm a man. I am an anchor man. Is this a kissing book? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Hello, welcome along to Just Like in the Movies, brought to you by gkmedia.ie, in association with the Galway Film Flat. I'm your host, Gary Kelly, and it is day six of the Galway Film Flat, and joined, as always, by our amazing reviewers, Lisa Trace and Dave Coyne. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Gary. Now, we got to, well, I got to see a few things yesterday, but we'll focus on a documentary and a feature film that screened yesterday at the Galway Film Flat. First up, let's look at The Tribe of Gods, uh, which we were speaking to Will Fitzgerald during the week as well. And uh, he was recommending this as a must-see documentary. Patsy Dan Rogers is the last king of Ireland who lives on Tory Island, which is just off north of Donegal. And uh, he's diagnosed with cancer. And the king leads the islanders' constant efforts to secure their rights and unique way of living. Lisa, are you familiar with Patsy Dan Rogers? I am now. Very okay. familiar with them. I've I've heard of the story before of the king of the island before, but um, uh, like I don't don't know the man. But uh, yeah, this is a very good documentary. I thought I was like I just I didn't realize how like it's nine miles off the coast, but it does it it feels like it's even further because you know mm. like I I went to Clare Island last summer and that was an experience. But that's not an Irish-speaking island, um, and it doesn't get any, any of the benefits of that. But Tory Island does have it's a it's a Gaelic like, so it's um, you know they have the really they're really kind of holding on to the culture and the language and it's yeah, fair like there's place less than 150 people living there, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, fair place them. They're um, they're a strong strong bunch, and Patsy Dan is uh, the king of the island, and there was nobody kind of lined up to replace him as far as I could see. I don't. I, they didn't really go into the details on how you get to be king. Um, I think you're just maybe voted king or something. But um, they're very like in. Frederick, Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> you just go around and you get votes to be sheriff. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but um, their ferry is their big issue because they were getting um, a 42, was it a 42-year-old ferry or something? Um, and it was going to be like refitted and re this and it was going to be seaworthy and everything. But it, they weren't happy with that, obviously, because they want a brand new ferry, not just a ramshackle old one that's modified. They And they went to the doll and they protested outside the doll and there's a lot of there's a lot of politicians in this movie um it was a moving documentary definitely towards the end it was it was a story that needed to be told because i think we're we're not really aware about what happens on the islands it added a lot of credence to you know the play the plight of the islanders um i mean patsy is this absolute gentleman of a man he's an orphan he was fostered and he was brought to the island at the age of 6 without any irish language at all and now he's a, well, he was a fluent Gaelgor um, at the end of his life and he was a beautiful speaker and very friendly, nice, kind-hearted man, dancer, singer, just an all-around general good guy. And um, he would welcome visitors to the island one by one, shaking their hands. Do you remember 100 years ago when you could shake people's hands? And uh, mm-hmm. he, he, he was just this lovely man. And of course, they didn't kind of pull on the heartstrings too much on the cancer thing until towards the end of the documentary. But I got to be honest, it, it left a lump in my throat because, um, you know, uh, it's not a spoiler because this is, you know, real world events that have happened two years ago. So I'm afraid spoilers are coming. So if you don't want spoilers, you know, 
switch over to BBC One now. Um, you know, he dies at the end of it. You know, he goes, he's talking all the way through. He's almost our, our narrator as well. And he's the opening shot is him on the rocky shores of this beautiful island, just harvesting some seaweed for whether he's using it in the bath or whether he's cooking it or God knows what he's doing with it, but he's doing something. And he's the narrator. He's the linchpin. He's the he's the character that we kind of follow throughout, along with any other characters that are also wonderful people as well. And mm. when he dies at the end, it's it's poignant, it's tragic, and yet somehow it's uplifting because you know that it's the cycle of life. And he his voiceover is still talking to you while you're watching his funeral, and it gives you a sense of the mythology of the place and. Uh, mm. I just hope that they get what they need because when I retire, I'd happily have a look at it and say, geez, I might retire out there because it's just an amazing place to be. And uh, as Lisa said, fabulously crafted documentary, simple story, you know, these islanders of 200 odd people against the state and the state are, let's be honest, you know, not maliciously doing anything bad, but not doing what they should be doing, looking after these people. You know, we're driving around Dublin and we see Balia Oclea all over the place on every signpost. And three quarters of the population of Dublin are from other countries who don't even speak one word of Irish. And they're looking at this Balia Oclea and we've got TG Cahar and there's money everywhere. And there's, you know, very handsome presenters and beautiful presenters on TG Cahar getting paid well. And then these islanders, islanders who are actually living the Gaeltacht life, speaking Gaelga, Ikfolam Gaelga, Ikanj Gaelga, Gach Law on the island and they're not getting the support that they, that they need you know what i mean it makes me kind of annoyed but again when you're doing the books you know you have a population there of less than 150 people well if that's the case then gary maybe we should just scrap the irish language altogether and just put all the signs down apparently we spend something like two million euros a year translating official documents into irish two million a year how many people are reading those documents you know, we th- you, this is our, this is an age-old argument. I mean, I'm I'm a quasi Gaelgor. I don't speak Irish as well as I'd like. I understand most of it, and every time, and if you put a few pints in me, it gets, you know, much better <laughs> uh, by my yeah. ear. But and I always think, oh, I need to, you know, use my Irish a bit more and blah blah. But I mean, we're either going to do it or we're not. So we need to like almost like Brexit. We need to have a vote and say. Are we going to keep Irish as our official language? And if we are, then let's put our shoulder to the pump. Let's get it taught properly in schools. Let's support our Gaeltacht areas and let them grow and give them infrastructure and jobs and ferries and medical support and human bloody, you know, support. Um, Or let's get rid of it altogether. Do you know what I mean? There can't be this, well, we'll do piecemeal and we'll give you just enough to keep you going, but we won't give you a a proper quality of life. I don't know if I'm going to be very excited about the future of the Gaeltacht, though, when the new minister, her role is media, tourism, arts, culture, sport and Gaeltacht. I mean, it's just wedged in there with a wad of things when you think that tourism is so important now, you know, with the ripple effect of COVID-19. Absolutely, Gary. It's, It's an afterthought almost. It is great that documentaries like that do kind of get us roiled up again about our heritage and our, our culture and so on. And obviously, just to focus back on the film flat element here, wonderful documentary, beautiful documentary, beautiful stories, beautiful people, well told, great music. The music was amazing in this film and um, really well shot, good storytelling, some lovely shots of the ocean and storms and things to give you an emotional um, connection to the story. Really, really well-made documentary. Hats off. And uh, I tip my hat to these people. Well done. Great documentary. Great work. Keep it up. Good on you. 
Okay, excellent. So out of 10, Dave? Out of 10, I'm going to give it a solid 9 because I absolutely wow. loved it. 9 for me. And I mean, it's 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 Osgoelga uh, and it's Donegal Gaelga. So for a lad from Galia like myself, there was a few words I was like, huh? Come again? Cut the spreelish in? But I enjoyed it immensely. Wonderful characters, uh, wonderful story and um, very powerful documentary and beautiful to look at. And the music is amazing. So 9 for me. Wow, excellent. Lisa? Ocht asa je agari. 8 out of 10. Mahu, kermahagoth. See, I speak it too. Mashiv, mashiv. There you go. That is the Tribe of Gods. Well done to everyone involved in the making of that. And again, do keep an eye out because tomorrow night is awards season. Well, it's not awards season. It's the awards for the flag that are being handed out so um well it kind of is award season because award season was cancelled so this is the first bit of awards we've had in a while in the film world so it is kind of award season there's definitely a few documentaries and feature films which have caught our eye over the last few days so uh, that is one to keep an eye out for next up is here are the young men from director own mackin which uh, set in Dublin in around 2003 uh, it's based on Rob Doyle's novel and uh, it tells the story of Matthew, who's kind of just finished up in school and begins a summer of drink, drugs and thrill seeking. Lisa, mm-hmm. do you want to go first and give us your thoughts on Here Are the Young Men? Sure. Um, yeah, I think this is my favorite film of the week so far. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's why I went to you first, because I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely my favorite so far. I thought it was... God, it's just it. There's there's a lot in it. Like it, it was the it's set in the summer of two thousand and three, which uh, was my heyday, and um, I remember like it just everything about it. Just it, you feel that you're in two thousand and three watching this. Like the production design, the costumes, the music. I just everything came together, and I was like, this is brilliant. I love it. The acting is superb. There's nobody that's bad in this film. Um, there's so much talent. There's so much talent. I thought the story was really good. Dave will tell it better, but I just, I just want to wax lyrical how much I really like this film because it was the, it's just, just the production element of it. The just everything, the sets, everything. Just it was wonderful. Loved it. So, Dave, you tell us about the film. Well, Dave, did you think the acting was very good? I gotta be honest here. I did not. I, I yeah. think Lisa and I are going to disagree on this one. I mean, the acting isn't, you know, horrible or terrible or anything like that. I mean, you know, uh, some of the cast are Dean Charles Chapman, who people will know from uh, Game of Thrones. He played Cersei's son, the king who committed the nice soft fella who jumped out the window. And he also was uh, one of the lead actors in um, 1917, that wonderful war movie. So he is a seriously good actor and uh, up and coming young fella. Good actor, good accent. He's he is good in this. His performance is good. But for me personally, yeah, he plays Matthew. Yeah, he plays Matthew. He's, he's the lead character. For me, this film fell flat. Uh, oh. I thought it was a, a damp squib that didn't have enough squib in it. I mean, there's a few other you know actors in it who I thought were well out of their depth and didn't really bring it. I mean, you know, one of the top bill casts is this guy called Travis Fimmel. I don't oh. know if you're familiar with him. He's yes, he's, you know, he's he's in Vikings and. He was in Warcraft, and he's been in a few things, and he's a he's a reasonably good actor, I suppose. But he's the he was the guy in the dream sequence slash spaced out drug fueled sequences. You know the TV host guy. I thought those sequences were shocking bad, in my opinion. 
they were very amateurish in my opinion. This is just my opinion, filmmakers. Don't come and kill me on Twitter or whatever. Or you can, I don't care. But I thought that the skill, the, the cinematographer had skill, right? And he or she, I don't know, I didn't look it up. There was a yeah. good mix with the cinematography and the editing. Yeah, absolutely, there was. But I think one one big trick that kind of helped this movie to fall flat in its face for me was those sequences, which were key. You know, those dream sequences and flashbacks or mm-hmm. uh, psychedelic, whatever whatever way you want to define them. I'm going to just call them dream sequences for the points of for the point here. They they weren't stylized. They were naturalistically shot. They were. It wasn't even a Dutch angle thrown in or a soft focus or a bit of uh, lighting or grading. It was just naturalistic filming. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to know that this is a drug-fueled event? And the climax of this film in the nightclub, that was shot amazingly well with psychedelic effects and shutter drag and you name it, like lots and lots of effects to bring us into the drug-fueled mania that was happening towards the end of the film. But there was no, not even a hint of stylized shot in those dream sequences. And that just made me go, hold on, what are we looking at here? And obviously, you know, budgetary constraints, there was, what, eight or ten people in the audience to make this dream sequence. And a dream sequence should be limitless in its scope. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be, well, we got a studio from RT now, we get a few lads in yellow T-shirts and we just film it and it'll be grand and the audience will believe that this is a dream sequence. I just found them very, very uh, not up to par. The rest of the film was well made, well shot, good production design. As Lisa said, the production designers did a really good job in this film. The direction is good, but I think one big, as I said, one big mistake in my view was that uh, those dream sequences, if they want to maybe pull them back into post-production and put a lick of uh, stylized paint over them. Uh, it might help them a lot. Um, so that, 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 that let it down for me. For me though, I found watching it, I didn't actually care for any of the characters. In fact, I probably despised all of the characters. And I think if that's the journey that you're going on, like for me, it was a mix of train spotting meets clockwork orange. Yet with those characters, I kind of, I got them more than I got the characters in this movie. Well, I think they were a little, the characters here were a little bit underdeveloped. I mean, you know, even the sequence where the the, the classic two, 20, 2003 long-haired dude who tries to commit suicide, the scene where himself and um, our lead act, lead character, what was his name again? Uh, Matthew. Andrew. Matthew, Andrew. Matthew, Andrew I, honestly, I really don't care. Uh, mm-hmm. I, he didn't grab me. The characters didn't grab me enough to even remember their names. Um, the scene where they're, they're in, he's in the hospital and there's just a tantrum like, hey man, get fuck out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, I didn't care. There was, it wasn't believable. There was, it was yeah. kind of teenage angsty nonsense. It didn't have any substance to it. And even the beginning where he's talking to the principal and then they go and they vandalize the principal's car and everything. Even that scene was, they were trying to do a little, um, uh, homage, you mentioned it already, Gary, an homage to train spotting with the running away and the cops or the yeah. security guys running after them. They're all, woohoo, and they're doing the train spotting, the classic train spotting trope from whatever 1994 or whatever train spotting year was. Um, I'll have to look that up now to make sure I'm using it. Well, it's close enough for an off the cuff remark uh, without having <laughs> it in front of me. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it just didn't wash with me. Uh, and I knew Lisa would love it. I knew I sat there going, Lisa's going to love this. <laughs> And I'm going to tear this film apart. And at least it'll make a good podcast. <laughs> oh. I, I didn't think Lisa would like it. I thought you would like it, though. Um, yeah, I thought Dave would yeah. like it, too. Oh, geez, I'm so disappointed. Yeah, not surprised. Um, well, people were saying, in Lisa's defense, people were saying to me, Gary, you're going to be blown away by the acting. 
I don't want to be criticizing anyone, but I just think if you compare the quality of acting in this to my extraordinary summer with Tess, I mean, I just think they're they're leagues apart. Leagues, like a thousand leagues under the sea apart, if you ask me. Different level altogether. Um, and here's the thing. There's some actors in this film that I've actually worked with that probably won't remember me and I don't remember what I worked with on them. But for example, there's a fella in there called Emmett J. Scanlon. I think, I believe he played the, the hobo, the bum. Yeah. I mean, I've actually been on screen and worked with Emmett and he's a lovely man and he's a good actor and he did a good job yeah. in that thing. But I think the film as a whole, I mean, you had people like Susan Lynch, who's a great actress, Ralph Eisen, who plays the, the principal, the principal and Conlet Hill, another Game of Thrones alum. You might, you might have missed him. Did you? Dave, you're, you're talking to the people who didn't actually finish watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, uh, security, can we get these people out of a movie podcast? They haven't <laughs> seen the biggest TV show on the planet. No, but seriously, like there, there's a lot of clout. And, you know, there's another car- actor called Finn Cole who plays Carney. Um, he's an actor that has a lot of potential. And he's got a great look. He's a very handsome fella. He's an intense actor. And I don't think he did a bad... I don't think any of the actors did a bad job here, except for, uh, sadly... Um, Tremel, Femel, whatever the hell his name is. is, is Travis Femel. Yeah, I'm sorry, Travis. You didn't do a great job in this because you weren't allowed. And, you know, this menacing dream demon character, he was cartoonish and non-threatening. And even the PVC dress didn't do anything for you in terms of making it weird or whatever. Apart from him, I think all the actors did a good job. They were good. I just think the story was a little bit meh for me and um, just didn't grab me, I'm afraid. I think that's probably the key thing. It just, it didn't grab me either. Okay. Yeah, well, I... I don't be so... You you were allowed to wax lyrical and say you loved it. We're not... This is not a... I know, I know. a trial here. I know, I I just... uh, I'm delighted that you enjoyed it. That's a good thing. No, no, no. It's not that I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. It's not a film that you go... I'm enjoying this. I just liked the fact that I thought the actors were really good. I liked the story because I just thought, yeah, well, that is actually what's going to happen. If you take drugs, you will become a bit of a maniac. And I'm, you know, I just, I just thought it was a good message in it because, you know, they did act, it, it altered their personalities and it just, it just showed the bad side, the really bad side of drugs, which is every side of drugs. I'm not, I'm, I shouldn't go on about drugs, but you know what I mean? It's uh, it is kind of like, that's a good analogy, though, to say that it's like train spotting meets a clockwork orange. I think that's very good. Yeah, but it's, it is. it's the meniscus skin on the top of those two wonderful films that was peeled off with a tweezers and put into a blender <laughs> to make this film. It's not exactly the essence of either of those two films. It's a no, pastiche, homage, wannabe version of those films, I'm afraid, sadly. Okay, fine. But at the same time, you know, I do agree with Lisa saying it does show the whole effect of drugs from you know ingesting it into your system to just being all weird and wacky and zoned out to just getting very aggressive we'll say later on during the day i think it does that transition quite well like Mm. i would not be surprised if here are the young men in 10 20 years time actually became a cult classic Mm. but i think that i think there's a lot there was a lot of talent here i just think it just didn't click uh for me and i don't think this film has huge potential but I think uh, all the crew and cast of this film, most of them have great potential for their next project. And I'd be very curious to see their next um, their next two fingers to Dave Coyne, the reviewer. Yeah, because <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that this movie wins awards at the FLAB because there's something about the films that screen on a Saturday evening. They always end up getting an award or two at the film FLAB. 
I don't know what well, it is. Well, you'd wonder what it is in terms of like why does it get that slot? Why does why did you hear on the grapevine that it's the acting is amazing? Who told you that? You know, where did it come from? The film hasn't been released yeah. yet. So that's just somebody creating buzz. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, for me, the acting is good. Uh, the acting in My Extraordinary Summer with Tess was in a different league stratospherically, as far as I'm concerned. Um, even the film that we reviewed there, um, Rose Plays Julie, the acting in that was on another level as well, uh, above um, mm. above this film, in my opinion. But, you know, opinions yeah, are like, you know what, everybody's got one. Lisa, ignore everything that was said by Dave. <laughs> what do you want to give it out of 10? I want to give it a solid 7 out of 10. Like, this is a feature <laughs> film at the FLA. It's on the Saturday night, and it is... It's it should be a big movie, and I think seven is a very good score. Like my 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 tens are going to like things like Joker, but like this is a solid seven out of ten film, I think, which is good. Uh, for me, it fell flat. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. Uh, if anyone wants to follow Dave on Twitter, his uh, <laughs> I don't even know my own Twitter handle. <laughs> Dave G Coin, I think it is. No, no, I mean I listen. I'm entitled to my opinion, and uh, and and I respect Lisa's opinion, and you know. Uh, I'm not saying don't go and see this film or anything. I'm just saying it didn't do it for me. That's all. And look, if there's any screeners that have been on, been on during the week that we haven't discussed in, just like in the movies with our Film Flash special, do get in touch with us via social media uh, because we're going to do a wrap-up show on Monday evening. So uh, we'll be looking back on the award winners and, and all that. So if there are any particular screenings we should see before the film flies wrapped up, do get in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Let us know and uh, we'd be more than delighted to review it for our final episode. But that is it where we are heading into the final day of the Galway Film Fla. Documentaries again taking place throughout the day. You have a Maverick Islander screening at 12 noon. Breaking the Ice is that really interesting sports documentary about the Irish uh, team who went to the Winter Olympics. Uh, there's Henry Glassie Fieldwork being screened at three. Uh, Softy then is that Kenyan documentary screened at four o'clock. Uh, another documentary, Always Amber, which uh, focuses on the trans community. That screens at six o'clock this evening. And then the closing film of the Galway Film Fla, which focuses on the eve of the Great Famine in Ireland, is A Rocked, and that screens at 9 o'clock tonight. And that will bring the 32nd Galway Film Fla to a close. And ironically, I got to see more films at the Galway Film Fla this year than I did in any other year. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Probably because the bars are closed. <laughs> <laughs> Because there is that thing, if you meet someone who you haven't seen in a long time, or you get into a good conversation with someone, whether it's in the Rowan Club or the Radisson or whatever, that's that's the problem then, when you, you have great intentions of going to see something and it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're reviewers, so we kind of have to go and see things. So next year, if you see me around the fly and I'm like, I got to run, <laughs> you know, forgive me. But you're right, Gary, because like, you know, you and I met first at the flat 300 years ago. So, yeah. you know, and we've had quite a few libations at the flat. So we've kind of freed up a lot of time now, you know. OK, well, we'll we'll say nothing. We'll do our final wrap up on Monday evening tomorrow on our thoughts overall of the Goy Film Flat because we're going to try and squeeze in a few more screenings before it all finishes up. But for now, Lisa and Dave, thank you for joining us on Just Like in the Movies. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you.
Thank you. Bye. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye.